0: Good news. uh, As we become more part of the family, uh, we're starting to feel like it. Um, So it's it's probably better news for me than you, but over time it's got to happen. But uh, we started doing things that pastors and staff people do this week. Um, Got the opportunity to to hang out with Dave and, again, just do things that pastors do and um, just visits and uh, meeting with some some team leaders, those of you guys actually sitting here right now and, and just starting to kind of feel uh, a rhythm a little bit anyways, um, kind of learning the ropes. So, I mean, we, we are excited uh, again to be here. And this is the last time I'm going to say that because uh, hopefully by next weekend I'll be one of you. Um, but, uh, but we are um, we're doing things, finding a rhythm. And one of the announcements Ryan forgot to say was to find a house. So uh, we'll be in the back afterwards if you have any ideas. All right, we're going to pick up with uh, the story of Jesus. Okay, We're going to start back with the, the book of Mark. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, or if you've been keeping up, maybe not, jot this down. Uh, we are in chapter 1, still looking at ver- verse 35 through 39. Um, looking at verse 35 through 39. And another piece of good news is that Jesus, or Mark, because he wrote this, uh, or maybe Dave, because he planned it this way. But Jesus got the memo that it was Super Bowl Sunday, and that football football was kind of on the, the, the mind of a lot of people. So if you came here to, like, escape that, um, you know, sorry, but this will only be really brief um, but what, what we have on the screen is, is a picture of Andrew Luck. Okay, this makes no difference for today's game. So if, you're, if you don't know, have any idea, don't look for him today because <laughs> they are very much not in this game. Uh, but a cool little story is um, back in the fall, Andrew Luck, and I'll kind of read some of this uh, just because a lot of this is, is quotes, but, um, but uh, he, uh, usually a very mild tempered kind of leader, uh, he, he's, a, he's a strong leader on his team. He's actually from, from Texas, from Houston. Um, and uh, so there he is with the the Colts, and uh, usually a little mild-tempered kind of leader, but he's in in the NFL, so he's got the potential, obviously, to get rowdy and get crazy, Uh, but uncharacteristically of him uh, during one game when they were playing the Titans, he gives this, it's very, very odd in terms of of how the teammates saw it, uh, a halftime speech, okay, Um, and so unlike him, he gets, he gets kind of crazy, and he's like, we're down by 10, and, and I'm tired of being down by 10 again, which is why they're not in the Super Bowl. But in this case, uh, they would end up rallying back. And one thing that, I, that one of his teammates said that I thought was really, really important in terms of, of halftimes, uh, and in what half times can really be valuable for is, is his teammate, uh, the kicker, he, he's the one that was interviewed and was most like, that was not Andrew Luck. Uh, he said, basically what he said was, the team needs to get on my back and I'm going to take us, and we're going to win this game, uh, which was very interesting in terms of uh, what happened in the second half. They would end up coming back and outscore down by 10. They would outscore, I think, like 37 to 10 or something like that, and they would win decidedly. Uh, the idea of a halftime, and, and that, that makes a perfect example of what a halftime can do, what it's valuable for. It can totally uh, and radically, in some cases, change the direction and certainly kind of the tempo of, of a game. A halftime is very critical. You'll notice that a coach calls a halftime, not the players. Okay? Most players, whether they're down and, and they they, they want to come back and change things, they want to do so immediately while they're on the field, right? If you ever played, you're going, breaks are for wimps. Like why are we stopping right now? But the coach knows that if we can take a break from the action, whether we're winning or we're losing, if we can regroup and restrategize, we even have a greater chance. Um, at at regaining momentum, or continuing to do what we're doing, because a lot of teams by the second half, the opposing side, uh, and this goes for most sports, by about the halfway point of the game, they're kind of getting an idea, and and more so even in football, they're getting an idea of how to beat you, and so the halftime is very, very important, taking a break from the action, regrouping with your team, and re-energizing your team is very important. Here's the deal, I was a baseball player growing up, and so you don't yell at me to get me excited, okay? Okay, I'm just going to shut down and be like, just calm down. We'll talk, right? But football players are, t- are totally different. Uh, this was a huge shock for me. I had the opportunity to be the, the high school varsity team chaplain at uh, Arlington High School, just, you know, down the road when I was a student pastor. And uh, for three years, every Friday, awesome opportunity. to, to be- the last thing they did before they got on the buses. You can take that down. He's distracting me. I feel like I'm about to watch football. Um, <laughs> i wait for it to, like, come alive. But uh, so, chaplain, uh, Arlington High School. And so it, it was an awesome opportunity for me, not just to minister the gospel, and, and I would be able to preach Jesus. It was an FCA-run kind of organization, which you guys know a little bit about. And, um, and I got the chance to, to kind of create a theme and talk Jesus to, to 60 guys, high school, junior, senior, some really talented sophomores in a locker room. And that was different for me. And so uh, going on, you know, uh, 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 trips with them, and, and I was considered a coach um, and, uh, and what you would kind of do when, when someone said, are you a coach? You'd say yes, because they gave me, like, the shirt and the hat, and I was, I was totally official, except I definitely was not a coach. So I would say that I was a coach because I had to, because I'm on the sidelines and on the bus. And they would say, what coach? And I would go, <coughs> uh, character coach. You know, so I, I have to, like, kind of uh, explain that without being like, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian or whatever. And, and they were fine with that, but they were like, if anyone asks you, you're a character coach. I thought that was uh, kind of cheesy, but that's all right. It worked. Awesome uh, Awesome opportunity to preach the gospel, and to see behind the curtain of a, of a high school or really any football halftime. So here's the deal. More than any other sport, it is so strategic, and many of you know this way better than I do, um, so the first half is spent in groups. They would break into teams, and the coaches, the offense, the defense, special teams, whatever, they would break the team down, and they would go, hey, here's where we're doing well, here's where we're getting slaughtered, and we've got to change some things. That was the first half of the, the halftime. The second half of the halftime, as you know, is about 60-plus young men on a knee, either beat up or doing well, green or you know, just covered in turf or, or not, and then the coach would, would be absent for a minute and dramatically walk in the back like this. And I had the opportunity to be under a coach that was, was awesome. His dad was a, was a trademark coach in Arlington. Uh, Scott Peach was, was this guy's name. and uh, So Scott would walk in, and he always had these really intuitive, challenging speeches. You could tell he thought about the pregame and the halftime speech or adjusted it accordingly. And he would, he would inspire these young men, and they would stand up, and they would yell and scream out of a tunnel, Meanwhile, I'm going. This is real life right now. Like, you know, baseball players like totally just like we control it, right? Like, I'll kill you, but I'm gonna control it right now, and I'm gonna we're gonna win. But so football is different, and uh, and so I would see this. I need a pulpit. I would see this, um, and I would see it in two pieces. They would they would regroup, and they would inspire. Uh, their team. As we look at this text, here's the deal. This is something that Jesus models for us. This idea of halftime, it's important in sports. And whether we like it or not, whether we realize the full value or not, it has, it has a massive, massive value in our personal lives. And I think for the very two same reasons that we regroup and that we refresh that we look at strategy of of the action the day before, the month before, our lifetime before, and we prepare ourselves for the action, the life, the ministry after we leave that locker room. And so when we look at Mark 1, 35 through 39, this is Jesus taking a halftime, or you might call it a time out, kind of the same deal, uh, same value. Jesus models this for us. If you look at Mark 1, verse 35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages in Galilee so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Verse 39. So he traveled through Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Um, Whenever I read this snapshot of this, the overall story, the narrative of Mark, for the most part, it kind of runs together. Whenever I read these five verses, I I see three different things. Uh, And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at what Jesus does and kind of unpack those a little bit. And those, those movements of Jesus that we see become questions for us, right? Jesus is going to model this idea of taking a break from the action, taking a, uh, taking a, uh, a break and, and operating spiritually like a halftime would be or like a timeout would be in a sports game. And so the first thing I see is that Jesus made time. Jesus made time. Some of this is going to sound super, super simple until it turns the table on us and it's worth unpacking before we ask ourselves these questions. Jesus made time. Uh, it says very early in the morning, like we just read, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, went out to a solitary place where he prayed. A couple things. Uh, the, the word there for very early is the word proie. It's not proie, and it's not orthodox Okay, I'm butchering that, but that's okay. Uh, the idea is that it was very early. Uh, uh, the proie is like daybreak. orthodox is like daybreak. This is proie. This is like when, like, it was like 3 to 6 a.m. Uh, when roosters aren't even crowing, and the sun's not coming up for a while. This idea of Jesus waking up is this idea of him waking up super super early, and we know why as we kind of keep reading. And the second thing we see, so we see the when, then we see the where, to a solitary place. That's important. These things become really important to us because Jesus goes to a, and the the word means an an uninhabitable place. This isn't like on the, the back porch, though that can work, you know, today. This isn't like just kind of down the road or went for a walk. This is like he probably took a little bit of a trek and made sure no one was around. He removed all kinds of distractions, possible distractions, and he very early went to a solitary place, and, uh, and we were told that he, he prayed. Um, that, that word, or this idea of solitude and meditation would have been extremely normative. <clears throat> so maybe you're familiar with, with the, the ritual or traditional daily prayers that a Jew would pray right? And it was just built into your routine. You had to do it in a way. And, and many took joy in and even the ritual and the discipline of going, I pray every morning. I pray during the day. I pray at night. And, and it's this constant reminder that, that I am devoted to God and be mindful of God. And it has extremely uh, just uh, influential benefits in our lives after we come back into the action and continue living our lives after we spend time with Him. And there's Uh, This this idea of solitude, meditation, very normative. Uh, There were actually two words in the Hebrew that they would have understood, uh, that they would have read over sixty times. These two words interchangeably, basically, uh, sixty times throughout the Old Testament, they they mean prayer. Okay, think about this. This, These are different ways a quiet time might look, even for us. It's, It's prayer. Those two words in the Hebrew could mean listening to God's word. It could mean reflecting on God's works, meditating on what God had done, His faithfulness, His nature. Um, those two words could also mean, they could kind of connotate uh, rehearsing God's deeds, right? Uh, the Passover meal, they, they would rehearse what God had done, how faithful God had been. This is a quiet time spent with God, uh, also meditating on His law. Uh, we read all this throughout the Old Testament, and, and these, are, these are kind of odd verses, I think, to us. we're going And, and they're saying, God, thank you for your law. Thank you for how, how holy and how righteous, how beautiful even, your law is and they would meditate on all the different aspects of God's nature, and his works, and his deeds, um, and the law. Um, quiet time, therefore, was a regular part of Jesus' life, and if you read through the Gospels, we see this. We see through all throughout Mark as we continue looking. We're going to see it again in chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, as we look through Mark, we're going to see in chapter 4, verse 35, uh, before he's in the boat. Uh, chapter 6, a couple times after feeding the, the thousands and walking on water. In chapter 14 in Gethsemane, as he prays. Uh, in Matthew, we see it about four times. In Luke, a couple times. In John, chapter 6, we see that he escapes to a mountain. This was a very regular, normative thing for Jesus to do. It was Jesus made time. As we keep reading, verse 36 and 37 of our, our main passage, we see a second movement. It says, Simon and his companions, his friends, went out to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, say that word with me. Everyone is looking for you. Okay. So we know that Jesus needed time. And here's why, because if I'm Jesus and I'm not, if I'm Jesus, you're saying a lot more than everyone is looking for me because Jesus had a mission and he had a goal. And we see that, especially in the garden of Gethsemane when he prays, do you remember his prayer? He says, God, you know what? He's quarter. He's like running back right now. He would say, "God, like I'll play, but man, if if I could just not do, you know, running back right now because they're destroying me out there. That'd be fantastic." But then he says, "But coach, whatever you want, I'll do it." And so God, as we see and as we're grateful for, which leads to our salvation and our freedom from sin, He goes back in the game, dies on the cross, and brings us salvation. Right. This is Jesus at His most vulnerable point that we see in Scripture. He knew that he needed time with God. And I think we forget that because that phrase, everyone, Simon and his friends, because Jesus was just there, stayed the night, woke up after a long day of like healing and delivering people. He wakes up. He needs some time. He wakes up early, goes and gets some time in the mountains. They come uh, rapping on the, the Simon and his friend's door, Simon's door, everyone in Capernaum. He's like, hey, that guy that was there yesterday, I have someone else that was sick. I have someone else that's, that's filled with a demon. I, I, I have someone else that wants to hear him teach, and they're, they're banging on his door, where's Jesus? And they go check his room, and, and it's, it's all folded up, obviously, right? Just the tomb. But he's gone, okay? He's, he's gone, and he's gone to spend time with Jesus. So they go and look for him, and they find him. And when they say, everyone is looking for you, if I'm Jesus, part of what I hear is not just Capernaum, but I feel the weight of the world, and everyone in this world, zooming out, thinking extra spiritually, right? Everyone is looking for Jesus. And what Jesus would do with his life and how he would, his ministry would culminate on the cross and his resurrection, that would give everyone, not just Capernaum, everyone in all of human, man, mankind and human history, the hope that they're looking for. They're all looking for Jesus. We're all looking, for, however indirectly we need to think about that, ultimately we're looking for Jesus. So he hears more, I'm guessing, than just Capernaum. He feels a weight to follow what his God uh, is telling him to do and follow the voice of God. Because here's the deal. Things were crazy the day before, the weeks before. Uh, Dave talked about uh, uh, casting a demon out of the synagogue, out of this dude that was at church. He was at church. And then Simon brings his mother-in-law and says, hey, she needs to be healed. And then all of Capernaum uh, comes and he's, he's had a long day. You ever had a long day? He's had a long day, and he knows that tomorrow's about to get crazy. As, as you're gonna hear, he's gonna go throughout Galilee. Uh, he's gonna go, and that, that's, that's probably 200 plus villages and towns, and he's going, hey guys, I just spent time with God, and let's go throughout Galilee. This isn't like Plano, okay? That's like DFW. God told me we're to walk around DFW <laughs> and, and preach and teach and, and heal the sick. He's got this overwhelming mission, and here's what I think sometimes is that we gloss over the humanity of Christ. I know I do this. Here's what I think in this moment, because whenever we talk about Jesus needing time with God, because if Jesus needs it, the the back half of my sermon is going to be really powerful, and if we don't understand that he needs it, it's not, so hang with me. Jesus was fully man. He was fully God, but he was fully man. I think to gloss over the humanity of Jesus is is just as big of a deal as to ignore his divinity. Do you understand that? Like to, to understand that he was fully human and that he wasn't just God just shrugging off the weight. Like he felt that he was tested and tempted in every way that we are. And he could not have sinned and he could not have failed. And that's a totally different discussion. But the point is he felt it. He was fully human. Being fully God, he was fully human. He had a busy day. He was about to have a busy couple years. And he needed time with the Father. Third thing I see here in the last two verses, 38 and 39, is that Jesus was led by the voice of God. It says, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come to preach. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Do you notice that? His, his strategy seems to have changed a little bit. Not saying the first half was wrong. The couple days spent in Capernaum was, was, was an error. But he's going, I just spent time with God. And it would read, it would appear that he's going, you know what, we need to go somewhere else and do something else. And he would end up going back to Capernaum. He would spend way uh, too much time with the people of Capernaum. And they wouldn't give him the honor he was due. And that day, he woke up, spent time with Jesus. They said, hey, they're all asking for you. He goes, you know what? Man, I really feel like we just need to go somewhere else and do something else. Focus on this and go here. If Jesus' strategy can shift or change, or if he can hear, hey, now it's time to do this in the presence of God. Man, does that not have an indication on us? And we see that modeled perfectly by Christ. Spending time with God. See, first he makes time, then he, he spends time because he knows he needs to hear the voice. And then third thing, we literally see the rest of his ministry throughout Galilee as the completion of him hearing God's voice and following. We know that 19 of his 32 parables were in Galilee. We know that 30, 25 of his 33 miracles were in Galilee, including the first and the last. Uh, almost all of the synoptic, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, most of that enti- those entire Uh, narratives and stories, in those three books are in Galilee. We know that Jesus, after that particular quiet time, halftime, time time out with God, he shifts his focus, and it seems like he's got a plan. And then, if that's not enough, we we see him staying on track, consistently spending time with God. Uh, And I have a couple uh, slides for this, and this is going to kind of round out our observation of Jesus, and then we're going to ask these these questions about us. Um, So, this, I think, helps me. John 5, these are some powerful proofs that, that Jesus made time, spent time, and listened to the voice of God. It says, John 5, 3, my, uh, By myself I can do nothing. Uh, I judge only what I hear, and my judgment is just. And for I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. John six thirty eight For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John eight twenty eight I know this is fast, jot them down. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, there you will know uh, that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. John 12, for I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all the things I've spoken. I know that this, His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. John 14, don't say, don't you believe that I am in the Father, that the Father's in me, the words I say to you, I only speak, I don't speak by my own authority, rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. And the last one, like I referenced, this is pretty powerful, Uh, going a little bit farther, this is Matthew 26, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass or be taken from me, pass from me, yet not as I will, and not my will, but yours, God the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior. He needed to hear the voice of God because he had a busy day and he was about to have another busy day. And he knew that he was only at his best on his mission if he heard clearly the voice of God. And I think we forget that Jesus needed that. I know I do. So here's a question. What about about you? Do you make time? Do you believe you need time with him? Are you being led by the voice of God? Am I being led by the voice of God? Here's a couple things I saw this week. Not to, not to under spiritualize this, um, but speaking practically, uh, I saw something on Freakonomics. And Freakonomics, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. It's it's an economist and sociologist, or economy and sociology, um, uh, uh, two doctors from both ends, and they they kind of look at how humans operate and how that affects uh, uh, economics. And so they look at the minutia of, of human uh, activity, and they kind of want to explain it. And these are Gallup polls kind of things, like this many people said this, and this many people th- said this, and here's why, and they, they do podcasts and websites and, and books about it. Uh, well, this topic kind of came up, and they, they surveyed plenty of people, I'm sure, and they said that rich people, or we'll say richer people, woke, woke up three hours before they had to go to work. Uh, and, and people who weren't as rich, they, they didn't, I guess, right? So... <laughs> They woke up in time just to do the bare minimum. They, the poorer people, not as rich people, the bare minimum, wake up, 30 minutes, brush your teeth, throw on a shirt, put your shoes on unless you slept in your shoes, and you go to work. Richer people woke up three hours before they needed to go to work. That's it's really interesting. Another thing is Forbes. They they put out an article this week actually that said 10 things or 10 reasons to wake up early. And here's the deal. There's a lot of practical benefits to this idea so we're kind of coming over here focusing on the practical because it's not just practical is it It, it's very spiritual and emotional but but it's also very practical most things that god commands of us he's the one that wired us and he understands making time whether it's in the morning that's what the bible says and psalm says morning and jesus got up in the morning but i'm not you know maybe you have work schedules you have to do in the evening but making time even very practically speaking it has benefits to us And it says some people work out in the morning, some people read the newspaper. Here's the deal, people sit and they wake up and they breathe. Forbes would say that you show up to work more prepared. You've created margin in your life. You could look at last week's reports and you could kind of make some notes and go into this week before the meeting and be fully prepared and be more productive. There's a lot of benefits just logically with this idea of waking up early. Um, But to kind of bring it back, uh, kind of more holistic, because this is about our heart. In time with Jesus. I love uh, what Martin Luther said. I don't know if you've read this, but he said you've probably heard it He said, "I've got so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer." And all about you, but I hate that quote. I hate that quote. And, and just before we go any farther, remember we, we talked about not being legalistic, but, but like that God has created the law for man, not man for the law, right? And so even if that were Scripture, I think we could go, you know what? Are we getting enough time alone with God? It's not this rudimentary, wake up at 4, pray till 7, and then get dressed and go to work by 8. That's not what he's saying, but a matter of fact, it's, it's pretty convicting to me. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I can tell you from personal experience that the best days, spiritually, not all, it's not a science, but the best days on a whole are when my first words are good morning, Lord. When the first words out of my mouth are good morning, Lord. And obviously there's coffee right there, right? When I can start my day with a spiritual perspective and spend time telling God what's on my heart, telling him the things that I'm really anxious about. God, if this doesn't come through, man, I don't know what we're going to do. And there's been a lot of prayers like that. God, this is really exciting. Man, I hope this works out. This is a desire of my heart, God. Would you, would you honor that? Would you bless me? And But if not, you know, man, I, I love you and you're, you're good. But just as your child, I'm telling you, that's, that'd be really cool. Thinking about other people, praying for other people, telling God, and that kind of starts with it being a desire of your heart, caring about the people around you. Because making time in the morning, while practically beneficial, it's very spiritual. If Jesus needed time with the Father, so do we. If Jesus needed time, so do we. I think back to the halftime picture, you'd have to ask this question. Who, what kind of player am I going into the second half? Have you ever seen a football game in the locker room? Uh, they're, they're wrapping uh, twisted knees over here, and they're, they're, they're bandaging scrapes over here, and they're telling this guy, hey, you're not cutting it. You've got to come out, and you're in, and offense is over here going, hey, we've got to start doing this. That worked for the first quarter. It's not working right now. We've got to do this. The question is, who are you going into that quiet time? Are you the one that's hurt, and you just need to heal? Are you the one that's tired, and you just need to rest? Are you the one that, man, God is doing powerful things through your life and you just need to give him credit and thank him for blessing you? Are you the one that's losing and you're going, God, I need to repent. Wherever you're at, whatever player you represent, whenever you find time with God, you got to ask that question because that is a valuable period to spend with God and to refocus, to to let God speak and lead us and then to re-energize and let God, uh, let his word wash over us is a picture we see in scripture. And let his word be, be real to us. Study scripture a little bit. Pray. Meditate on who he is and what he's done. What, what player are you going into the, to the second half? Because the second half is way too important not to take a halftime. But we operate like the players, don't we? God, I'm so busy. Just, just let me just keep playing. Let's just, let's just run this out. And, 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 and you only stop whenever you are exhausted and it's too late. But the coach, in his wisdom says, the clock went to zero, everybody in this room, because I have something I need to tell you, and there's some things we need to do differently. Man, if it's important in a football game, and if Jesus does this, I mean, we we have to have this for our spiritual life. I I know that, again, personally, I see the peace of God. I, I I can sense the peace of God more clearly when I'm spending time with him. So what's God wanting you to do? What's God speaking to you right now? Man, I really just don't know. Sometimes we don't know, but, but more often than not, I can trust kind of my gut, kind of this thing in here. I can, I can trust that more the more I spend time with him. And it's not emotional. It's not necessarily a feeling, but God gave us feelings, and he works through those. And I can sense the peace of God more clearly when I'm spending time with him. Uh, I've got more compassion for people. You're more of an interruption to me, and, and I'm just saying this because this is us, I think. You're more of an interruption to me when you need something when I'm not in the presence of God. When I'm in the presence of God, He gives me His heart for you, and you interrupting me becomes an opportunity. I joke with my wife whenever I've been up and I've already drank a cup of coffee, she comes down to also kind of study her Bible, and she makes a fresh pot of coffee, and I'll extend my empty cup, and I'll say, Do you want to study the Word, or do you want an opportunity to live it? Right? And I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Have I done that before, right? You remember that? And I'm totally joking. I, I, I would then, hopefully, and I, I would value at least the guy, and I hope I'm this guy that would then get up ask her to sit down, and, and I'll make the, the fresh pot of coffee. So it's a joke, but, but here's the deal. I used to get so frustrated when my kids would walk in my office, uh, and I'm having a quiet time. Leave me alone. Give me another 30 minutes. Cooper woke up early, and he's kind of like a groggy. Eye. He's got his dd as his blanket, and he walks in like this, and, and I know the first thing he does whenever I'm at home, which is most days until recently, whatever, he walks in, and he'll, he'll just kind of groggily walk in like this, rubbing his eye with his blanket, and he wants me to pick him up, put him on my lap. And I've got my Bible, my notebook, or my computer screen, or whatever, and I've just got to push that aside and hold him. And and if I'm really engaging with Scripture, that's not an interruption. That becomes, even if I just sat down, my coffee's hot, and and man, I'm excited about opening the Bible and going, God, what are you saying here? Even if the Bible just fell open, and all of a sudden, I hear his door open, right? I'm going, Cooper, because Graham doesn't wake up early. So, what I do is, is I allow that interruption to be a picture of God's love for me. And that whenever I just don't get it sometimes and I just need him to hold me or be with him. Man, I'm going, man, what a powerful illustration. And it becomes an opportunity. God gives me his heart for people and he lets me see with his eyes more often when I'm in his presence. I have more joy. You know why? Because I have spiritual perspective. Man, how do people have spiritual perspective without the presence of God, without reading the truth of Scripture, letting that be, become our thoughts? Uh, Romans tells us that God rewires us. If you're lost and you don't know Him, His words are nonsense. But whenever God saves you and He gives us fresh eyes to see Scripture and to understand it and be compelled and convicted by Scripture, He rewires me and He allows me to see things from His point of view. I get, a, I get an earthly perspective on things and I'm hopeless. But with God's perspective, a spiritual perspective, I have joy whenever the tire blows or someone I know like dents their car or runs into a curb and now I've got alignment issues. It's like, man, or I, you know, this breaks. I'm going, okay, I can take a deep breath more easily right now because I've just been in the presence of God. I can see things from his perspective. The second half is so much harder without a halftime and I'm so much better and the team is so much better with a half-time. Um, one thing that we don't see in this passage is how Jesus spent time with the Father. We're told he prayed, but again, a lot of the cultural norms spending time with God could have been several different modes of quiet time. Um, one writer of, of this book right here, which I'll recommend at some point, is Richard Foster, Celebration of Disciple, or Discipline. Celebration of Discipline. He says, Christian meditation, very simply is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. It is that simple, he says. I wish that I could make it more complicated for those who like it difficult. It involves no hidden mysteries, no secret mantras, no mental gymnastics, no esoteric fights into the cosmic consciousness. The truth of the matter is the great God of the universe, the creator of all things, desires our fellowship. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about how to follow Jesus, right? No small topic. And we talked about how it costs us everything. It's so sacrificial. But then we, we said on the flip end, ironically, but, but not contradictively, right? It's, it's, it's sacrificial, but it's simple. And this is not about a formula. It's about spending time with God. And so if it's so simple, and if this is one of the most natural things for a believer to do, why don't we do it? Maybe you're busy. Maybe maybe you're, you're so busy, and you literally have convinced yourself, which is very easy to do, and I'm super guilty of this, that I don't have time, unlike Luther. I don't, and he would say, I don't not have time to spend time with God. I don't have time to not have a quiet time. I don't have time to not wake up earlier and pray. But maybe you're busy. Maybe it's not a routine for you. Maybe you try, but you don't limit distractions and just practically, you just kind of need to learn how to iron a few tweaks out, but you're really willing to and you know you need it. Uh, the main reason that I've, I've realized, and maybe this is, is a different layer for you, maybe this helps, but the biggest reason I, I don't spend time with God is because I don't have many areas of faith operating in my life. Meaning, when have I trusted myself in a situation where I know that I need God to show up? Is your life a life of spiritual, missional urgency? Where are you having to trust God and follow him? Maybe you're in a routine and you're going, I've got life under control. To which I would say, I don't know how successful it's going to be for you to have a healthy, regular, quiet time. You can have a schedule. You can have traditions. But man, where where is God speaking to you? Where is God speaking to me and asking me to follow him? And if I'm scared a little bit, but I know I'm following him, I tell you what, I'm going to wake up early more often. I'm going to say, help Where's their faith needing to operate in your life? Where do you realize? Where are you convinced? Are you convinced that you need him to speak? Or do you have it under control? I've been there. I think that's the main reason people don't have a quiet time because it's not how we do it. It's, it's that we know we, we need him. So uh, try not to be formulaic. Here's three things because I do want to speak practically a little bit. These are more tips. They're not necessarily what to do during your time, but there's three things simply that I want to leave us with. The first is make time. The second is spend time. So make time. The reason I separate that is because it is hard just to set an alarm and wake up to the alarm. Just to say no to certain obligations and build in time to your schedule. So building yourself time is step one for me. That's my experience. And then once you sit down, then you're on to phase two. And God's going, good job. You can do this. All right, you're here. I'm proud of you. I know that you got up because not you felt like it, but because you know that you need to be here. I'm proud of you. Keep it up. Now let's talk. You know, So the second step is is spend time. Uh, and again, I, I would recommend a couple books. Uh, maybe you've read these, maybe you haven't, but uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of, Dis- of uh, Discipline really walks through what fasting and prayer are different spiritual disciplines, which can be a way that we spend time with God and think more spiritually. Another book that might help you explain how you're wired, because I think how we're wired is a way to kind of, uh, to get the most out of a time with God. Jesus obviously was a naturalist, right? One of the, the ways you know who you are is, in this is kind of formulaic, but I think it's helpful. Uh, you're a naturalist, you're a sensei, you're a traditionalist, you're an activist. These don't replace quiet times with God, but they could help you maximize just what, what how God relates to you best. It says nine distinct spiritual temperaments and traits that uh, that help you Spend better time with God. So make time, spend time. Maybe those books will help. Don't read those during your quiet time, but maybe those will help. And the last thing is give it time. Give it time. Hearing the voice of God is a skill. Whether, whether you like this or not, whether I like it, because I kind of hate that this is true. But hearing the voice of God, spending quality, quiet times with God is a skill that we develop. We have to tune our ear to the voice of God, don't we? A mature believer they, they have a more fruitful time with God than, than even the, the most passionate rookie believer. The, the rookie believer has an emotional uh, experience that is valid. And I hope that that emotional experience lasts them forever. But they, they're, they're living off of an experience. And they're still honing the skill of like a mature believer, sit down and hear the voice of God and know how to read scripture and meditate on it. So I would say make time, spend time, and, and give time. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond a little bit differently this morning. So the band is going to come up, and we're going to sing a song. Like we do, but we're going to overlap the end of the sermon and the singing of the song a little bit. And here's the deal. As corporate as this setting is, corporate, we're all here. Every week at this time, been Church shows up, and we give our gifts to God, and we serve, and we lead, and we, we, uh, we, we take in... A scripture and we worship God together. Here's the deal. As corporate as this is, we're going to have a corporate quiet time this morning. Tuesday, in, our, in one of our staff prayers as we prayed for, for different prayer requests and for you guys and what God's doing here, uh, Ryan prayed to pray, that was interesting that, that I've heard before, but it just kind of pinged you know, just uh, it caught my attention Tuesday. And she prayed that, that, that you guys and, and that means us too, that we would show up full on Sunday versus maybe showing up ready to be full, like filled. So I think as, as well-intentioned as we might be, we, we, we come like this sometimes, don't we? I, I've come to church like this before. And, and, I, and it, it's not a bad thing, because we know where to get it, and we know it's in God's Word, and we know it's in community. So it's, it's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. We come empty, and we go, hey, worship leader, hey, preacher, hey, friends that I'm sitting with, uh, man, fill this up. Like spiritually, I, I, need, I need some fuel. I need to kind of refuel for the second half. After this, we go and we live life. And, and man, it's kind of hard. And following Jesus is difficult sometimes. And just the world is, life is hard sometimes. And I operate best whenever God fills me. Time in his presence, the truth of his word is powerful. And we come to church looking for that. And that's, that's good in some cases. But we come like this. And I think every one of us, not just one up here on the stage but I think every believer has one of these. And throughout the week, we carry it around, and we spend time with God, and God, and God speaks truth and reminds us of His promises, right? And He encourages us, and we see prayers answered, and we go, man, God is good. And we're more aware of Him, and we have more joy, and we have, we have spiritual perspective in life, and, and we're starting to really sense His presence. And I, you're, you're not an interruption. It's a joy to serve you and to help a friend because, man, for some reason... I just feel kind of an overflow of what God is doing, and we personally, individually have one of these, and then we come, and we kind of have to carry it like this so it doesn't spill over and and pour on the carpet, because if you get carpet, stuff on the carpet, you got to wipe it up, but that should be a good problem spiritually. You should be bringing this in every Sunday morning full, and you're going, oh man, like, versus this, like, all right, it's empty. Fill it up. All right, I'm gonna go take some notes. We know where to get it. And if you're here with an empty basket, that's no condemnation. You know that it's in Jesus. But what's even better is that we have a personal quiet time, a personal experience with Jesus. And we come to church ready just to pour it all in this room and fill the place to full. What if worship looked more like that? So as we sing this, maybe you have a personal quiet time that you need to have. And it's, it's not the best environment, but we wanted to kind of build in If this is the best you got today, that's fine. And so you might stay seated. You might look at scripture. You might just sit and pray. Or this might really be a chance for you just to stand and worship. But focus more individually yourself and and God and try again. This is not the best environment. But we're going to build in a little personal time corporately this morning.